Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, and most of you can quote it so you don't have to turn if you don't want to. I should precede what I'm going to say by what I'm going to say. Um, in December, I had a little hemorrhage in my right eye, and I can't read. The little speck in there that prevents me focusing on words is getting better, and uh, I think maybe in the, in the next, they say it takes six months to wash out. And uh, the blood's running by the artery, and the vein is right there. They had a wreck on the corner down there and created a hemorrhage right where you focus your eye. So I'm unable to focus. So if I, I have my notes written in large print. I hardly ever use notes, but they're always there if I need them. And so pray that I'll be able to get through this. I've been preaching with it okay, but if I make a few mistakes, forgive me in advance because we want to share the gospel with you today in a very special way. And then pray that God will heal this eye so I can get on with my work. I feel like I'm at a snail's space for the last two months. But the doctor assures me that if there's movement in there, that it will gradually it'll get, get better. And there is movement. Every day the, the blockage gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And uh, today, for instance, I can see a lot of things that I couldn't have seen even last week. So I, I can drive. I can pick off the pedestrian like you've never seen as I'm going along. <laughs> But um, so far it's safe and everything is optimistic, but it's just very uh, testing while we are here now. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want to speak today on a subject I don't want to speak on. But I feel that churches and assemblies and people of our own group need to realize this. I want to speak on the subject of sin. When is the last time you've really looked up sin? We're engaged in our assembly in a study of systematic theology, all ten sections. Last year, we took the first five sections, God, the Bible, Christ, the Holy Spirit, angels, and we're up to man. Next month, I'm going to start on man, and then sin, and then salvation in the church, and and prophecy or future events. It's always good. We do this about once every five or six years in our group and to make sure that we ground our folks in the Word of God. This is a different study. It's not what I'm going to teach on sin, but I may, wherever I go. Let's think about sin. Sin is the usually when you take a study in systematic theology, the seventh section is on sin. They call it hamartiology. And if you want to pretend to be smart, eliminate the H. You pronounce it like it's amartiology, so they'll think you're a professor or something. But the subject, of course, is the study of sin. Now, to those of you who have never been born again, if there's anyone in this audience today and you say, well, I know it all, I've heard it all, and I've rejected it all, I'm not a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. Well, you're going to be terribly insulted today because the Word of God puts puts it exactly where it needs to be put when we come to sin. Sin will insult you. You're going to dislike it. And yet we fail to realize that it's sin that Christ came to the cross to die for. So what is the worst news to you is also the best news to you if you will believe the Word of God and trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Now with that in mind, let's think of a few verses. I want to say three things about sin. First of all, it's the definitions. When we say sin... If you take the dictionary and look up the word S-I-N, 
You don't, you don't, what you have is descriptives, but you don't have a definition. You might have some definitions, but the Bible itself gives us the idea uh, behind sin by the words that it uses to describe it. I want to share six or seven with you. Number one, the one that we read, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, we're not quite to the definitions yet, but this is what sin is. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Secondly, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Now think about this. I jumped a page there. Because of sin, we have funeral homes. Because of sin, we have graveyards. Because of sin, we all die. I heard our brother say this morning that he didn't want to live to be 80 or so and have all the burdens of physical pain. He'd prefer for the Lord to come. Well, I'm the same way. I I want to go home after a Sunday preach somewhere, maybe in our chapel or here, have a nice chicken dinner that Jeannie always fixes up for me or roast beef dinner or pork chops or whatever. And then I like to go to bed and ask Jacob, gather my own feet into my own bed, pull up the sheet, and fall asleep and wake up in heaven. Now, I'm chicken. I don't want any pain. I don't want any pain. And and you remember Jabez, he said, Lord, increase my coast. Don't ever pray that because tribulation worketh patience. (laughs) And tribulation is what you don't want. Let me pause for a moment and just share something personal with you. As some of you know, I went through a uh, bladder and prostate operation about the middle of December. The operation, you don't feel a thing. It's that recovery that gets you. Right after that, I had this hemorrhage with my eye, which means I don't see out of my left eye since 16 because of a football injury. So I'm partially blind. Then last week, my wife had an accident and wrecked, totaled out her car. And a few other things. In the last two months, there's been more burdens than I can shake a stick at. But I'll tell you what I have learned. Here's the good part. We have a new nature and we have an old nature. Amen? Amen. The old nature hasn't died. He's very much alive. God has said the old nature has lost control of you. But it's still there. The devil has lost his authority over one of his disciples when you become saved. But he's still there. But I've learned that in the middle of terrible depression, worry and fear and panic, humanly speaking, I can still have the joy of the Lord. Amen. 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 Right in the toughest time, you can be rejoicing in the Lord. I used to run around with a fellow that said every time, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm still rejoicing. Still rejoicing. And I'm still rejoicing. Something else I've learned in the last couple of three months that's been very, very... I've never known before. I've preached it for years and never needed it. You can be falling apart, incapable of doing anything for yourself. But you still have the sustaining grace of God. Learn to lean upon God's grace. When you're 80 years old and you have all these pains, brother, lean upon the grace of God. And enjoy the joy of the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God and those promises and presence with the Lord, just keeping in the Word, can get you through, I believe, just about anything. In the last 30 days, a few times I've said, Lord, I'm not going to take much more of this. Just take me home to heaven. Leave all the bills with Jeannie. She's a better manager than I am. You know, <laughs> Just take me home to heaven. 
I say that for the good of those of you that might be going through some of these things. Well, back to the text. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned. We know we've sinned. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. We've covered that. Now, here's the hard part. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It's appointed unto men once to die. Well, we all know that. But after this, the judgment. And this is what we want to talk about, that judgment. Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, the death and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is where, dear friend, you will end up without trusting Jesus Christ as your... You just continue going like you're going without ever being born again. And you'll end up in hell, and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. And in Jude, verse 13 says, To whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. There's no let up. Now, most of, the, most of you who are, are not born again, you fail to realize that one of the primary reasons we have this Bible, I brought the Bible to let you know I believe the Bible. I can't read it, so I just said it over here. But the reason that we believe the Bible is because it tells us the way out of that eternal judgment in the lake of fire. And that is that Christ died for our sins upon the cross to redeem us from those sins. And all that is required of you is not to understand it, but to believe it. I was in the home of a man Friday, a man 84 years old. And his through the years, he's always said, every time people tried to witness to them, I don't believe anything I don't understand. And I said, well, Woody, you're going to die and go to hell. Because if you wait to understand God's great love and plan of salvation, you're going to be lost forever. But Christ died upon the cross that you accept what he did by faith. We always want to reason it. I was that way before I was saved. If I don't understand it, I just can't understand it. It it doesn't make sense to me. Well, that's the lower nature. That's the human without Christ. This man I visited the other day, he said, well, I just don't believe it. Well, he, he heard it for about an hour and a half. And when, I, when it came time to go, I said, well, Woody, I came to pray for your wife who is sick, and I came to visit with you and encourage you. I didn't really mean to want you to feel like I'm beating you over the head with the Bible, but we got around to the gospel, and, and I, that's, that's where I live. That's what my whole life is for. And he stepped back and he said, well, Bob, he says, one thing I've learned from, from this little conversation, <laughs> two and a half hour conversation, One thing I've learned, he says, if I'm right and you're wrong, you haven't lost anything. But if you're right and I'm wrong, then I've lost all. I said, thank you, Lord. He's not too far from the kingdom of heaven when he sees that. He will soon be coming to the Lord. I said, well, Woody, when you accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior by faith, will you give me a call on the phone? I'm going to pray for you every day until I get that phone call. And you know what he said? Yes, I will. In other words, he's headed that way. He didn't say, well, don't hold your breath because I'm not calling. He said, yes, I will call you. If there's anyone here today that's still trying to understand the plan of salvation, God did not ask you to understand it. He asked you to believe it. We came in the other day. I walked over to the television set and I turned the switch on. I enjoyed watching the program. What part I could see. I don't understand how television was made. In fact, there's not a person in this room that understands everything about electricity. 
We have an electrical engineer with more, more letters behind his name than you can shake a stick at, and he doesn't understand electricity, and he makes his living off of it. But he trusts it. All God wants you to do is trust what he has said, and that saves you. Well, God has commissioned you, and he's commissioned me to tell every unsaved people we can, all that we can, uh, about the gospel, the gospel of reconciliation, how to be reconciled to God through Christ. And I trust today that if there's anyone in this room that is not yet saved, don't leave this room lost. If you're a young person today, your mother and dad are Christians, and you haven't become saved, think about it. In the lake of fire, you'll never see your mama again. You'll never see your dad. You'll never see your brothers and your sisters. You'll never see anything that's good. You'll be locked up in the caverns of the damned forever. In the blackness of darkness forever. And it makes it worse when you've heard the gospel. you heard how to be saved. And you said, no thank you. If you don't do anything else in this room today, then just trust the Lord as you lift your heart to God and say, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. I'm trusting you to save me. That'll make me happy. This is your opportunity. And it's even worse when you have the opportunity and don't take it. Let's think about some of the definitions of sin right quick. And there are many. In the Old Testament, there are eight different words that's used from which you can get a a concept of sin. In the New Testament, there are 12 different words. I want to share with you six or seven, depending upon how we cut it. First of all, in Psalm 51 and 1, the word transgression is used. Sin is transgression. What does that mean? Well, it means an overstepping of the law, an overstepping of the divine boundary between good and evil. Now, in good old Americana, it may be jumping the fence in your neighbor's yard. Your neighbor puts the fence up, and you stay over there, and I'll stay over here. Besides that, I've got a junkyard dog in my backyard. If you come over that fence, he's going to have lunch. You know. Well, and by the way, here's the no trespassing sign. Don't come over the fence. Every one of us in this room has gone over God's fence between right and wrong. And... The junkyard dog is going to get you. The junkyard dog being hell if you don't get out of that backyard and repent to God and trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. To fail to see the sign, it doesn't happen at all. That just helps the dog. If you don't see the sign and you come on, shouldn't tell you this, but I will anyhow. When we were in high school, I had auto shop, auto body and auto shop. Easy work, a lot of credits. We had to make a car run before we could graduate from that class and get credits. And in those days, right after the war, there were a lot of junkyards that didn't make cars, and you could buy parts, better still steal parts, for anything. And so one night, we couldn't find a part, a bunch of us, there's six of us in a group. The class had 36 students, there were six different groups of six each. And so we all had to make a car each. So we went out by the railroad track, walked the railroad track down to the junkyard, where in the daytime we had gone to see the part that we wanted, and we went over the fence. There's always cars stacked up to the fence. So we went over and stepped on top of this car, and we stepped on this and this. Finally, we got down to the ground. And I got out there just far enough to where I couldn't get back in time, and here comes that junkyard dog. <laughs> Brother, I made it back in time. <laughs> I'll tell you that. They can put the fear in you. It was three of them, actually, old German police dogs, and they were there to protect that junk. 
So we went back like we were supposed to the next day and paid cash for it and bought it. But junkyard dogs, that's the result of no of transgressing, breaking the law, God's law. If one fails to see the sign, it's going to happen to him. Another word for sin is iniquity. What is iniquity? Well, it means an, an act inherently wrong, whether expressly forbidden or not, if, if it's just wrong. Now, let me say something that I hope no one in this room needs. Today, we're living in the age of homosexuality and other terribly perverted things. A lot of people practice iniquity in the beginning of their, of their lives, and, and because they're, and even though their very nature tells them it's wrong, they do it anyhow for the excitement. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25. Even though they know it's perversion, and they know it's wrong, It's against human decency. Even without the Word of God, you know it's wrong. Something tells you it's wrong. God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. And that's the plan. And when we go wrong, we know it in our hearts. I'll tell you what happens. It's not until God allows the effects of these iniquities to come down upon us, and then we begin to wise up and realize that we were walking around in a cesspool of sin. When you catch AIDS or you catch all these other perverted sicknesses that can be caught. Oh, I did wrong. Well, you know you did wrong to begin with. Your very nature told you that. That's iniquity. Doing something you know to be wrong. Now, some of us will say, I thank God I've never done that. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. We've all done that one way or another. A third description of sin is something called, a word called error. Now, it's not in the Bible, but the word err is. He erred this way and he erred that. Well, that's the word from which we get the word error. In my Bible, in a footnote, there are two references, Romans 3.23, Romans 1.18, third one, 1 John 3.14, as biblical examples of error, even though the word error is not there. The word is unrighteousness, or in our language, unrightness. Supposed to do right, I did wrong. That's error. A lot of the preachers like to use the illustration of bows and arrows, and you are shooting at a mark. Well, one might, might, like me, miss it by a country mile. Another might miss it by ten feet. But the fact is, we have all missed the mark. We have made an arrow. We have departed from right. And when you know what right is, whether it's positive or negative, but you choose to go wrong, you've committed an error. Even when you don't know it, you've committed an error, according to Numbers chapter 15, verses 27 through 31. You cannot live a human life on this earth without committing error, and error is sin. The Bible says so. Now, here's a fourth description I mentioned a while ago. It's missing the mark. Shooting the bow and arrow. You miss the mark. You shoot at it, but you miss it. Suppose God came in this door here. Well, the Lord came in because God's a spirit. We couldn't see him. Suppose the Lord came in and says, well, I have good news for everyone here. There's another way to be saved that I've held off until to tell you until today. Oh, good. Let's hear it. All you have to do is jump flat-footed from here to the moon. You got it. Well, we can't do it. Case closed. Well, that's what missing the mark is. We all fail to reach it. We can't reach it. Missing the mark, it, it fails to meet 
God's divine standard. And so, preachers often use that as illustrations. Some things you've done, other things you've done, but there's some things you haven't done. To miss the mark in any sin in the Bible makes you guilty. Now, we're going to come to that a little bit later on. Another one is trespass. We've talked about transgression, iniquities, errors, missing the mark. Sin is also called a trespass. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is very important. This is the reason I believe that God condemned the whole world because of sin. It's the sin of trespass. Trespass means the intrusion of self-will into the sphere of God's divine standard and authority. An area where you have no right whatsoever to go in and do your own thing. Remember Cain, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, they're two children. Adam and Eve sinned against God and they were condemned. They were lost at a point. But God made coats of skin, made it available for them. He said, put it on. They put it on and God redeemed them. Why? Because that shedding of the blood speaks of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ that settles the case for believers. They taught their children. There's a verse over in Genesis 25 that says, Before the law, through the patriarchs, God taught principles to the fathers of the families who taught them the Word of God. To prove that, the time came to make an offering out Cain and Abel went. Abel was a farmer, or Abel was a, an, a, took care of the animals. He offered a blood sacrifice like he was supposed to. Cain says, no, I'm a farmer. I'll give what I have. Now, some of you might have trouble with that. Well, why did he favor uh, Abel, but he didn't favor Cain? Because Cain knew that he had to give a blood sacrifice, and he didn't do it. The reason we know that, when you get over to verse 8 of Genesis chapter 24, he says, if you do well, sin lieth at the door. Now, what does that mean? Well, we get we, in the King James Bible, we get a little mixed up there, but the word sin is the same Hebrew word for sin offering. If you sin, you do wrong, but if you do sin, the offering is right there at the door. Take it. And had Cain at that moment made, I believe, a blood sacrifice, God would have redeemed Cain. But Cain didn't do it. He was the first disciple of Satan's ecumenical movement. And he became a lifetime disciple. He entered his will. He put his will in front of God's will. And anytime you say, well, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it my way. You're lost. Salvation is stopping and saying, hold it, God. You know better than I do. I don't understand your love. I don't understand sin. I don't understand all the suffering in the world. I don't understand about the Virgin Mary. I don't understand about all of these things, all the things that we think of reasons why we can't accept it. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. I don't understand, like I said, how the TV works, but I come in and turn it on. I enjoy TV. I'm blessed by it. And Christianity works when you quit trying to understand it. Even though it's reasonable in certain ways, you still don't understand it. Trust. Just say, Lord, you know what you're doing. I'm in the dark down here. I don't know what's going on. But I trust you to take care of the problem through Christ and his sacrifice upon Calvary's cross. If you'll do that, you'll be saved from all the penalties of your sin. You'll never see the shores of heaven or hell. Or you'll never see the shores of hell. And you'll end up in heaven when this life is over. Now, let's go on. Another one is lawlessness. 1 Timothy 1.9. This connotes the absence of government. How many of us today 
sometimes we'll tell our wives this if we're brave or stupid. I'll do as I please. You know. She says, honey, on the way home from work today, will you stop by and get a bottle of la-di-da or whatever we need it for supper? Well, get it yourself, honey. Don't you know that I work all day? It just kills me. I have pressure at this work sitting in this air conditioning office. <laughs> Reviewing all of the work that my subordinates have done for me to check it off. Terrible work. And all you do is wash the mop the floors, wash the dishes. You can sit around and watch TV and sew clothes for the kids and take them to school in a nice car and, and go to the dentist and go to the doctor and come home and do all. You don't, you don't, you, you got it made. <laughs> Ladies, this one's for you. I, I probably will never be invited back because I'm going to tell you a little story. This man got to thinking when he was going to work one morning, his wife was still in bed. He says, he prayed. He must have been a Christian. I don't know. He says, God, he says, listen, this thing is not right. Will you turn? She does never do any work, and I work every day, five days a week, eight hours a day. Will you make her me and me her so I can enjoy some rest? God says, well, I think that's, that sounds reasonable. You've probably heard this before. So God made him a woman and her a man. Next morning, she got up and went off to work. He got up and the kids were fighting in the bedroom. He had to get them ready for school, wash them all up, put them in the car, take them to school. After that, do the marketing. After that, come home, mop the floor, clean the kitchen, make the beds, do the laundry, la di da di da And finally, come time to go get the school, the kids at school, and they had a fight in the car on the way home, cut themselves, had to rush to the doctor, fighting all the time. And then they got home just in time to fix supper, and she fixed up a nice supper, and in come the husband, and, and uh, he had a good supper. And then it was time to go to bed. And, of course, he was in an amorous mood. And she says, oh, no, not after today. And the next morning when this man woke up, he says, God, he says, I made a big mistake. He says, now I see what women do. He says, I don't think I could take a week of this, much less a lifetime. Will you please turn me back into a man and turn her back into a woman I, I now I'll, I'll appreciate and love my wife for the rest of my life like never before. God says, okay. He says, I think you've learned your lesson. I'll do it, but you've got to wait nine months. <laughs> hey, please forgive me for that. I just had to get it in here. Lawlessness is doing things. I want what I want when I want it. You know, I'm a lot that way. We want what we want when we want it. And give us a little bit more just in case we want some more later. Lawlessness is the absence of government. It's saying there is no law. There is no leader. I can lead myself. And you know Americans and especially Californians are a lot that way. We want to do what we want to do. Never mind what God says. And then last of all, there's a word called unbelief. Nothing offends you more. Nothing offends me more than for someone to say, well, now, I know that's what you say. But let's have a little more evidence. Let's check that out. That's saying you're a liar. Nobody likes to be called a liar. And when we do not believe God in the, in, in the view of all the evidence that God has revealed himself to us with, we're calling him a liar and it, it makes God furious. And this is why the human race is condemned. Don't blame Adam. We would have done what Adam did had we been there in his stead. We didn't believe God. And this is why God sets the judgment 
as high as it is. Well, we've ended the, the seven little descriptions of sin, but let me just take a few more minutes. Let's think a little bit how sin may be summarized. It's an act in which there's a violation or lack of obedience to the will of God. It's called a state, an evidence of an absence of unrighteousness, and it's called a nature of enmity against God. Enmity is enemy. I'm an enemy of God if I don't agree with it. Now, just a couple of minutes on the origin of sin. We know that sin started in heaven when Satan wanted to be like God. And he says, I will, a number of times, seven times I think it is, ascend my throne above the stars of God. He wanted to be higher than God. And he was thrown out of heaven for it. And when he got down to earth, it became the area of his, of his business until Adam and Eve came along. And through the serpent, He tempted Eve, who then uh, directed Adam. I think that would be the right way to say it. And Adam sinned. And and through Adam, the whole human race, since that was the whole human race at that point, became sinners. That's the results of sin. That's what happened. The next thing I want to just remind you of, just before we close, is the effects of sin. Let's think again. Now, we've seen the definition of sin. We know how ugly and how awful it is. We know where it came from. We know what it's doing today. Sin, A, caused the moral ruin of the human race. Death became universal. Now, some might say, well, now, hold on a minute, Bob. If there was no law, how could man be condemned for his sins, plural? If God says there's no standard to condemn him. Well, sin, death was the, sin, the, the consequences of his sin. Well, what do you mean? How can we all be sinners? Well, you know from, from Adam and Eve all the way down to the giving of the law in Exodus chapter 20, people still died, didn't they? Well, why did they die if they were not responsible for the sins that they committed? Well, it only stands to reason that if they didn't die for the sins they committed, they died for the nature of sin that was in them. That nature of sin came from Adam. Adam passed that nature on to them. Don't blame Adam. When I was a little boy in Sunday school, I used to get some mad at Adam. I used to say, I'm going to pretend to be a Christian and go to heaven and catch old Adam behind the barn and give him a good whipping for making such a mistake. No, that was not the, that was not the cause. Adam, being the federal head did what you and I would have done had we been there in his stead. You got that? Don't blame Adam. Blame yourself because he is simply representative of us. The moral rule, a ruin of fallen man was described in the Bible. Listen to these verses just before we close. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I can say amen to that. That's me. Job 14.4, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Psalm 39 and 5, Verily every man in his best state is altogether vanity. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, when little babies are born, I have an awful time in a hospital when I visit those little babies and see them for the first time just a week or two, just an hour or two old. Some of them pretty, and some of them are pretty ugly. <laughs> but they're all little babies. And you say to yourself, how could they, how could they, just so sweet little things, you know, how could they have a sinful nature? But you just wait about five minutes when they start showing that they're hungry. They'll let you know. Boy, they don't ever laugh. They cry. 
You know, they can get mad. Little babies can get mad. They have a temper. Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That, some of you mothers might think, well, my little kid couldn't, couldn't be a sinner. Well, wait a while. You, you'll agree. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You do not know your own heart. I do not know my own heart. This is where the psychologists fall all apart. They keep seeking motive, motive, motive. Well, why did you do this? Why did you do that? It always has to come down to, I don't know why. And you don't know why you do the things you do. because It's because of the sinful nature. Mark chapter 7, verse 21, 22. From, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. I have those. Adulteries, well, we have those urges. Fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceitfulness. An evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within. We can't blame grandma and grandpa. We can't blame mom and dad. We can't blame the neighborhood. It comes from within. And that's the reason you're a sinner and will go to hell if without trusting Christ. But that's also the reason the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and took all of those sins, all of yours and all of mine, And he died for them. And here's the good part. When did he die for them? 2,000 years ago. I wasn't even born 2,000 years ago, and yet the Scripture says he died for my sins. They were all future, which means that now he died for my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. Amen? Amen? And when I trust Jesus Christ, when I turn the TV switch on, that's expressing confidence that whoever made that television set understood electricity enough to figure it all out and put a picture there. And that's all I can tell you that I know about that. You don't have to know that. Just turn it on. God says you don't have to work. You don't have to wiggle your little finger. Just sitting right where you are in your chair, you can change your attitude. That's it. Attitude. Lord, I'm not running from you. I'm not shaking my fist and saying, go back. I'm saying, I want to go your way. I'm trusting what Jesus Christ did upon the cross for my salvation. And God writes your name down in the Lamb's book of life. And everyone whose name is in the Lamb's book of life shall never perish. I like to try to stop on time, and I think I'll just stop right there. But just before we do, I want someone to read Colossians chapter Five and oh, Colossians chapter three and verse five. Colossians chapter three. Just stand up and read it, if you will, dear brother. Colossians chapter three and verse five. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth: fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All right. To stop there, I want you to read verses eight and nine in a moment. Some of you might be sitting there and saying, Oh, I thank God that I'm not guilty of any of those. I've never committed adultery. I've never committed fornication. I've never murdered. I've never done this. All those sinful old things. They deserve to go to hell for what they did. Okay, you got your seatbelt on? Read verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with 
Can anyone in this room say, I have never lied, I have never been angry, I have never said an improper word? You see, they are sins too. It's the little ones that reveal our true nature. So every person on the face of the earth needs Christ. You need to be, you need to realize how sinful sin is and what sin is doing to you. It's sending you to the caverns of the damned forever. But that's why God gave us the Bible. That's why God gave us Jesus Christ upon the cross. Christ took all of our sins, put them on Himself, and judicially became responsible. And God loved His Son more than He hated our sins. And the sacrifice of His Son washed them out. And all He wants us to do is to say, Thank you, Lord, I believe that. I really do believe that. And God says, Case closed. Write His name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Bow your heads with me just a moment, please. You'll get the next half of this preach the next time I come around. Now think quietly just for a moment. I've got two minutes left. Some of us have parents that are praying for us. They don't want to think of their son or daughter ending up in the caverns of the damned and the lake of fire and blackness of darkness forever. You've put it off maybe as rebellion to them. I don't know. Well, that's enough to make you want to think, well, I'll never see the one that loves me. I'll never see her again. I'll never see my father. I'll never see all my friends again if I die and go to hell without Christ. All that God requires is not that you make up with them or do anything else, but just believe Enough to say to God, God, I'm counting on what Jesus Christ did for me upon the cross. And if you do that, before you get the words out of your mouth, He knows your heart. And if that heart is a heart of faith and repentance, and the repentance is the attitude, you're going to fail in physical repentance. We all do. But the thing that saves is to turn around and say, God, I want your will in my life. I surrender to you in view of what Christ did on the cross for me. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me just ask. I may never see you again. In fact, I don't see you today. (laughs) Is there anyone here that will say, Bob, I heard you. Message received. I have never really trusted Christ as Savior. But for what it's worth, I want you to know that I'm doing it right now. Will you slip up your hand? Just anyone in the audience, just slip up your hand. I'm not, I'm not going to make you do anything else. Just for my own curiosity. Anyone here? Anyone here will say, God, I see the bitterness and awfulness and the results of sin. I don't want to go to the lake of fire forever. Especially, thank you very much. Anyone else? I see a hand. I don't see the face, but I see the hand. Will you trust Christ for salvation? Don't mock God. Don't say it if it's not real or I'd I'd hate to be in your shoes but on the way home today. Tell him you're trusting Christ for salvation. There are brethren in this assembly that will do all within their power to help you grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus after you're saved. Before you're saved, you don't understand it. All you need to hear is the gospel until you're saved. Then you can grow. Our Heavenly Father, we pray once again that 
the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and help us to see that we don't have to understand it. We don't have to rationalize and reason our way out of these things, but just believe the Word. That Christ died upon the cross, and in that death He bore all our sins in His body. And we're told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If there is no one, if there's anyone in this room who is not yet saved, oh God, oh God, we pray, before they leave this room, they will open their hearts in a simple, uncomplicated way and say, God, I do believe, I will receive, I am receiving Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray, in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, dear friends, just before we start making noise and leaving, I would be happy to meet with anyone right here on the front row or in the office or wherever you have a place. If you have a reason why you'd like to be saved but you can't figure out something and you need to have that resolved, I'll stand right down here. Just come up and say, I want to talk with you about being saved. We'll know what to do from that time on. Don't leave the building lost. Thank you very much. Time's up.